0: Welcome to this market commentator podcast. It is MoneyWeb's weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. And our guest today is Delphine Govender. She's the chief investment officer and one of the founders of Perpetua Investment Managers. Delphine, welcome to the show. Last week wasn't a good one for the JSE. We saw a 4% decline and it was one of the worst weeks uh, since 2009 for local equities. Uh, And on Friday night, we saw Fitch downgrade South Africa's credit rating. Um, and uh, the prospects are not looking very bright. Uh, how do you approach investment markets in such an environment?
1: Um, this, hi, Rick. Yes, good to speak to you. Um, well, this I think this is all part of the, what makes investing uh, a difficult job. In that, and you know, as as much as we sometimes say it's simple, it's certainly not easy. Um, in the sense that you have so many factors that move things and move share prices from day to day when. Ultimately, the underlying, you know, true uh, intrinsic value of businesses is not changing in that way. So yes, we have had. several factors, and I think this has been something that's perhaps been quite frustrating for, you know, more bottom-up fundamental investors such as such as myself um, and colleagues that would follow a similar style in that it's been really many macro events that have driven from day to day, week to week, virtually hour to hour as it stands, depending on, you know, when U.S. markets are open or not, um, how our own markets and shares have reacted and in certain instances quite violently. Um, So to some extent, last week's move... Surprising? No, we've learned to live with quite a lot of volatility. Um, and perhaps it's something that we've started to, to almost get permanently used to um, from, from share price reactions. Uh,
0: we continue to see a, a weakening RAND, um, but unfortunately some of the RAND hedges are not responding accordingly. Uh, do you see this as a warning sign or maybe an opportunity?
1: Well, this is the thing, is that it's quite hard to put, um, you know, companies and, and shares in, in, in groups together and, and expect them to behave according to one perhaps common factor, which could be the RAND, because there's, there could be other factors that could also be, um, uh, you know, very much at play. Um, and, and we, we used to, you know, as investors operate in an environment where there was quite clear causality, that if, you know, if you're, if you're geared to a weak RAND, when the RAND weakened, the share price, you know, reacted accordingly. Um, but we've seen there many factors at play. So, you know, you could even split further between the commodity-based RAND hedges and the non-commodity RAND hedges. We also saw, I think, that to a large extent the market, as you know, operates as a discounting mechanism. So if a RAND has weakened and is expected to weaken further, the share prices react in advance of this, not necessarily post-effect. And so they already reflect what is expected to be a continuing weaker RAND.
0: Well, if we look at the economic prospects, um, this year it didn't seem to have that big an impact on the local market. Um, a lot of the uh, local market volatility you know, uh, came from international markets uh, and volatility there. Uh, mm. uh, do you foresee this trend continuing next year? Well, one of the most
1: interesting things I think about investing is that, As much as ultimately the companies in which, particularly obviously the equities in which we invest are clearly hinged to the fortunes of overarching economies, the one thing that we've learned as investors time in and time out is that, you know, economic growth doesn't necessarily translate into stock market gains or losses, and stock market gains or losses also don't translate into economic growth. And if you just think of the entire you know, behavior of this quantitative easing and monetary easing that has occurred in the last, you know, five odd years, um, driven predominantly by the Fed and then by other, you know, central banks around the world. That really was just trying to try and stimulate some sort of, you know, gr- greater wealth effect to get, you know, money to flow through the economy. And actually, as we've seen, uh, to a large extent in certain markets, that wealth effect hasn't necessarily translated into the kind of economic growth as we, we would have expected. Um, so, in, in short periods of time, we've actually seen that stock markets have completely overtaken the underlying economic growth that one really would expect. Um, but in, therein lies opportunities. And I think for bottom up individual stock pickers such as ourselves, you see opportunities where the macro actually gets almost either over discounted or underpriced. Um, and it's these mispricings that, that make us, uh,
0: will give us a reason to exist. Mm. Do you regard yourself as a contrarian investor?
1: Well, I think what I clearly am is is a value-oriented manager. And I think within value managers, um, you have times where you are more contrarian than less contrarian. But typically, you are looking, and I guess especially in markets such as these, where very few high beta shares are really contributing um, to the returns. And those shares are typically the ones that, that are very much the ones that are in favor and in vogue. Um, and so, if, you know, we tend to be contrarian as value-oriented managers and that we tend to be looking for opportunities for mispricings. And mispricings arise uh, because you have a situation where clearly um, shares are not being valued by the market as per their share price um, in terms of what we would expect to them to be fundamentally worth.
0: But you, one of your funds, your, your flagship fund, the uh, Perpetua MET Equity Fund, is pretty heavily invested in basic materials um, in the commodity sector, as is the case with many other value or contrarian funds. And obviously, these uh, the funds uh, did take a bit of a beating in the recent months. Uh, when do you foresee a, a turning point or are you actively trying to mitigate this uh, this downward trend?
1: Well, I think this is the thing. We we look at shares on a stock-specific basis. And, and unsurprisingly, we're, we're the sharp, underperformance and decline in several of the commodity and resource counters in the last um well three to four years but specifically in the last year as you know that's revealed even great opportunities. Um uh, our fund is about twenty to twenty five percent invested in the resources sector. So not kind of that you know extreme contrarian position as you would see almost two thirds or sixty percent. Um, and put another way there's about eighty percent of the fund that's actually not in, in the resources sector. But notwithstanding that we are absolutely seeing specific value and I think what has been quite surprising in this last year, and as you've correctly pointed out, is that many funds with any sort of exposure to the resources sector would have would have fed. Uh, particularly poorly with the results affected just for you know the 11 months of this year down in excess of, of 30%. Um, the overall stock market, if you look at this fix as an example, up about 7%. Um, and as a result, while I know those style indices are not perfect, we've seen a massive dislocation between your typical growth share, so your growth index up close to almost 19% and your value index almost down close to 11% for the 11 months. So. A value style manager is going to ride a return that's much more connected to the override you know, the the value style in the market, um, and so growth managers would be, you know, momentum type managers would be typically outperforming. Um, but I think the point that we're trying to make is that it's not about looking at the attributes of 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 counter that makes a value manager value manager, meaning it has to be a low PE or necessarily out of favour or have. Or being a mean reversion thesis, um, they're absolutely the underlying fundamentals. And so, for one for an example, one of the, the biggest additions to our fund during the year was a share like Tiger Brands, which, interestingly, for a large cap, we believe below 300 was particularly mispriced. Um, naturally, I think what you realise and what you've seen in the last three years was a strong momentum-driven market. It's really been the shares that everybody likes that have continued to do well. Um, and so that's been what's been a tricky thing to, to, to work against, because it's been the most popular shares that have continued to be the most popular shares. Um, and that trend at some point will start to reverse. And, and I think we're reaching that point both locally, locally and, and, and globally.
0: Um, but well you know obviously uh, value investors are positive about the future especially with some of the uh, underlying uh, investments but uh, are you not a bit nervous Um, the fund is underperforming the market it is underperforming a lot of the uh, exchange traded funds and the index tracking funds Um, are you contemplating uh, a change in strategy to try and mitigate this
1: um, we're definitely not contemplating a change in our value-oriented strategy. I think that would be completely not what both our firm is about, and and, and us as investors uh, would behave. Not simply because we believe that uh, you know we're being stubborn and believe that you know as investors we don't make mistakes. Every investor makes mistakes. The best investors in the world um, make quite a few mistakes actually on average through through their careers and cycles. Um, but the point is, you know, is it simply that it's the strategy? Is it the overarching strategy that's the flaw? Um, and I guess after three to four years of value as a style, having underperformed as much as it has, it's not surprising um, that you know many many investors clients are calling into question the fact that you know has is value broken as a, as a strategy, um, and are value oriented managers really needing to to change? Um, and I think what we must bear in mind is that we buy individual shares, we buy individual companies, and we're looking for mispricings. Um, and what's fascinating is if you think of how mispricings are not just uh, you know in terms of undervaluation, they could be in terms of overvaluation as well. Um, And to a large extent, the last three years has been driven not by truly active management. It's really been some of the biggest shares in the stock market that have driven the returns of the market, just a handful of them. Um, And so, you know, the more benchmark cognizant type managers would do better, whether they are active or or index trackers. Um, The point is that what what we've been set up now for is that a lot of the outstanding performance that you've seen from some of the biggest shares in the market, we believe, um, and much of this performance has almost borrowed from the future. You know, you take clearly one of the, you know, the showcases of this would have been a share like NASBAS, which I think in the beginning of this year had a market cap of about $600 billion, and 11 months later it has a market cap of $900 billion. Now, I don't know which is the right or wrong value, but has, has mass passive, you know, true intrinsic value really grown by 300 billion rand in, in just 11 months when its profits, you know, you know, grew by, you know, obviously a fraction of that? Just 40%, um, yeah. So this is a hard thing. Mm.
0: But where do the opportunities lie for active managers? Where, where do you see value currently?
1: Well, interestingly, there's quite a lot of value in the market that's not necessarily hinged to the resources sector. The irony, obviously, is if we were having this conversation in 2007 and 2008, um, you know, the conversation you would have been having with a value manager such as myself would have been that we would have been avoiding the resources sector. So the misperception is that, you know, value managers are, you know get their returns only necessarily from, you know, being overweight resources as we necessarily might be now simply where we can find individual shares. Um much of the other ideas we're seeing are mispricings across the markets. So I mentioned the share like Tiger Brands throughout the year. Um, and interestingly, the banks are a sector which we think are also mispriced relative, again, to expectations. So the banks are, you know, we most people are, are have sold on the banks because they can see that we're moving into a raising interest rate environment. Typically and historically, that has not had been from a macro perspective a good um, time for banks. But interestingly, you know, much of that's discounted in the price. So there's, there's a mispricing to the extent that the market has overly, you know, discounted the negative outlook from a macro perspective into individual shares. Um, and so we can find banks now trading at, you know, single-digit forward PEs, very attractive dividend deals. Um, because simply they, they, appear, they haven't been the sort of outperformance in the last year. And as a result, you know, investors and the market as a whole, from a herd perspective, like to go for things that have an obvious appeal. Mm. And. In, and sectors and shares that don't have an obvious appeal because of macro reasons will be avoided and will be sold down. And those are the perfect opportunities for value managers who are looking to stick to the fundamentals.
0: Just uh, on the financial sector, you are pretty, your, your biggest shareholding or your biggest single investment is in Standard Bank um, at nearly 7%. And then you also hold uh, you know, a large chunk of uh, Barclays Africa. Why those two in that sector?
1: Well, for a couple of reasons, and I think you know, if you just take the 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 second one as an example, um, you know, one of the big themes we've seen has been, um, you know, from how um the Africa theme for banks, both, um, well, sorry, the Africa theme just generally for the market, um, and it's interesting for us to the extent that which investors have been prepared. Uh, to pay up for the Africa growth story in consumer companies. But to a large extent that's been completely freely available and accessed from an investment in banks. Um, but what we've noticed particularly in this last cycle is that banks have been a lot more uh, cautious in terms of their lending practices. And while they might not be exhibiting the you know the absolute characteristics of growth shares, they're not being priced as growth shares. The quality of their loan book um has significantly improved. So you've seen that you know you've really seen a shift towards higher margins type product um, and in a far less competitive environment and and what we've seen also is that um, the level of impairments we think as a result, particularly on the current book, will be significantly lower than we might have seen in previous cycles because banks have been a lot more cautious on their lending.
0: But why um, specifically Standard Bank and Barclays as opposed to Netcore, First Rand and Investec?
1: Well, again, it's a function of an, uh, of price. So to what extent do we think that the market is, is perhaps extreme in the way they are pricing, you know, on one end perhaps more expectation. And relatively to each other, we think that Standard Bank, and, you know, we can take it to the specific investment cases, but in the interest of time, Standard Bank and Barclays, we think the market has been excessively pessimistic versus our expectation of their own fundamentals compared to perhaps First Run and Nedbank, And we think the outlook for those two banks from a lower base significantly
0: better just another interesting uh, counter in your portfolio is MTN now nobody can you know, foresee a, uh, a 3.9 billion dollar fine um, and, and it did hurt the share price uh, what, what are your perceptions now about MTN and its uh, investment attractiveness
1: well this is this has been a tricky one as as much as it's been an exposure in the fund, we have been quite underweight the share. you know I think going into the year MTN was probably the second biggest share in the sixth um and we have been overweight you know virtually throughout and you know I underweight the share throughout uh, through the entire time um but and and I think from our perspective and you've looked at the share, the hard thing, and, and we've seen it not just in NTM but in a couple of examples of, of companies, you know, we saw it last week with, with Steinhoff announcing, you know, mm-hmm. perhaps unsurprising to most, but surprising to others, you know, this trade by German tax authorities. The fact that you have these exogenous factors that occur, um, at companies, is something that is hard to predict. You're absolutely um, right on on that score. But what what is important, obviously, is to continuously revisit the investment case and say, would you put fresh capital into today? The hard thing to do with NTN right now is that um, you are facing quite a you know vacuum of information. So I think one of the first you know, calls we had with last week with management. We've had a change in management. So at the moment, I think the cautious thing to do is not to overreact as investors. So in one thing, what we wouldn't do is necessarily until we have greater confidence is necessarily um, – add to the position without having greater clarity and understanding of what management plan is. But having said that, um, by the same token, the other thing you certainly don't want to do as an investor is to convert a temporary loss, meaning a sharp decline in the share price to a permanent one by exiting a share simply because it's fallen and because you don't know. Uncertainty in and of itself doesn't, doesn't necessarily should trigger some sort of behavior because perhaps the next quarter for you uh, might be kept in performance from that share because you have no you know, source of information.
0: Well, um, South African equities uh, is on course to have a dreadful year. Um, it, it will be the first negative year in, in a few years, actually. Uh, what, what do you expect for next year? Do you foresee this trend to continue? I think after the
1: kind of period we've had over the last couple of years of of, of very strong returns from stock markets, perhaps, yes, propelled by factors, as we know, that have been quite unrelated to our underlying, you know, um, source of our economy or earnings growth. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we continued to have perhaps going forward, you know, in 2016, a year not dissimilar to to 2015, meaning a very benign year in terms of returns for equities. Um, and that's really about the fact that I think, you know, some of your bigger shares in the market are not going to be the ones that are going to be contributing to that kind of return. We had a very dislocated source of returns in the market market um, in 2015 and indeed in 2014. Um, Interestingly, this doesn't necessarily mean that as equity managers, we're we're depressed at the outlook, because for genuinely and authentically active managers such as ourselves, um, we actually think the opportunity to deliver returns that are significantly better than the general beta return of the market are actually particularly good now, because the level of mispricing within the market is... Perhaps the highest it's been in in several years, um, and for managers that are prepared to look out just beyond, you know, the next month or the next quarter, um, you can find quite quite good opportunities to do significantly better from equities, even though we are cautious and we are cautioning um, investors and clients as a whole that the kind of level of returns and absolute returns we've seen from the market over the last five years are unlikely to be repeated in the next five. Mm. Um,
0: Just lastly, uh, virtually your whole fund is invested in South Africa close to 100% in SA equity. Uh, Do you think uh, international markets may not be slightly more attractive um, than the, the prospect of The JSE?
1: We we do. I think, from uh, the, you know, really again, it's very hard to look at things from a broad brush perspective. Any investor should have. Um, strong diversification and we, we would absolutely advocate for diversification. An important look through in the South African stock market, um, is that perhaps over two thirds right now of the South African stock market is actually geared to, to some sort of offshore, you know, factor. So it's quite hard to just look one for one and say you are directly exposed to South African equities because if you look through the underlying holdings, a lot of them are geared actually to, to, um, economies, returns and factors that are not about South Africa and about growth outside of South Africa. Um, secondly, I think, you know, as if we're, we're still relatively young in our life cycle. I think it's about three years old. Um, but what we will be doing in the next six months is actually launching our global equity offering, which is an in-house um, developed offering. And therefore, I think you'll start to see, as we I have started to start covering several of those shares, um, global equity starting to, to be added to the portfolio.
0: Well, good luck with that venture. That was Delphine Govender. She is the Chief Investment Officer of Perpetua Investment Managers.